You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. War machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. To analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Uh, this program is podcast due to the efforts of our producer, Kelly Whitworth. The podcast will be up in the next 24 hours. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is currently streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It's it's heard across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Wonderful people, north to south, east to west, in every state and possibly every territory. So if you're a a regular listener to the Anarchist World this week, you obviously know what anarchism is all about. Very simple concept. It's about... Creating a society without rulers, not without rules, but without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people, sacrifice people on the nationalist killing fields? Well, it's inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, devolve power, and it's the struggle to a whole wealth in common and use for the common good. Exceptionally conservative concepts. To me, the fact that we allow one, an individual or a small group to determine the lives of billions of people, that's radical shit. That is really radical that we're willing to give them that authority. But that's the dilemma. And billions of people, hundreds of millions of people have been sacrificed on the altar of nationalism and capitalism and you name it. They've been sacrificed for nothing. Right, let's move on. Beyond globalisation, beyond national borders, regionalism, cooperation, the antidote to the climate emergency. Well, we are seeing a climate emergency, and I think Pakistan, what's happening in Pakistan and to a lesser degree in Sudan currently, highlights the climate emergency is here, and it's the people with the lowest impact on CO2 production, which are now reaping the benefits, inverted commas, of industrialisation. Now, Pakistan is interesting for one very important, two, well, two important reasons. One, outside the Antarctic and the Arctic circle, it has the most glaciers in the world. So as the temperature increases, these glaciers melt. 
And on top of that, for every degree of warming, we've had 1.5% warming, uh, we get a 7% increase in rainfall. So when you see those pictures in Pakistan and to a lesser degree in Sudan because, uh, you know, um, it's not part of our, our Western world, is it, Sudan? And we don't see what happens in most of the world when we watch the uh, news on our, you know, or listen to it. The fact is that climate change is real. So the thing about human history is that people adapt. If there's one thing human beings are capable of, despite despite, uh, challenges, most of our own making, we adapt. And sometimes that adaption is directly related for the need to survival. And what we think is important today is irrelevant tomorrow. Now, what COVID-19 has done, and before COVID-19, what corporate capitalism has done, it has demonstrated the globalisation the concept of trying to find places around the globe to produce things at the cheapest cost at the expense of the people who produce it so we in the West to a significant degree can enjoy those consumer goods is a bankrupt ideology. And what the various wars around the world, and it's not just the Ukraine and Russia, uh, in Yemen... Myanmar, West Papua, Syria, I could go on and on, shows the concept of having national borders is ridiculous in a period where we have an enemy which is not based on racial differences, cultural differences, religious differences, but an enemy, the climate emergency, which affects the whole world. So what's the way forward? What can we do? How can we change things? And the way forward seems to be regionalism and cooperation. What do I mean by regionalism? What do people mean by regionalism? It's about taking notice of the geographical region you find yourself in. Taking notice of the resources, both human and non-human, in those particular regions in order to create a secure environment where we do not have to rely on the exploitation of human and non-human resources in order to survive as a species. So I think as the climate emergency begins to have a greater and greater impact on people around the world, And climate refugees become the predominant 
issue as people are displaced in their tens of millions from urban and non-urban areas they believed that were there for all eternity, (coughs) we'll see a push towards regionalism and cooperation, not competition. Obviously, like all change, during this period, there'll be extraordinary loss of life. There'll be extraordinary dislocation. But if we don't attempt to deal with the issues today, not tomorrow, that loss of life and dislocation will be much greater than it should be. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Criminal negligence. That's a nice word, isn't it? Criminal negligence. Well, I know that maybe the election in Victoria isn't much of a talking point around the rest of Australia, but it is a becoming a, a little bit of a talking point in Victoria. And I'm aghast. Now, I've been around a long time. It's a little bit of, you know, it takes a little bit to push me. <clears throat> I'm aghast at the public housing tragedy that is occurring in Victoria, especially Victoria, under an ALP government which supposedly is uh, led by the socialist left faction. I'm sure those original members of the socialist left in Victorian ALP will be turning, spinning, not turning, spinning in their graves when they see what has happened to the Victorian ALP, which basically is nothing more than an appendage of the corporate sector, especially the construction industry. And nothing highlights this than the public housing tragedy which has occurred. Because over the last 20 years, and that includes one Liberal liberal government, over the last 20 years, we have seen in Victoria a concerted effort to privatise public housing. Now, public housing was originally introduced in the 1950s, early 1950s, as a result of men and women coming back from overseas who'd been involved in the Second World War, finding themselves living in tents in places like the MCG and the Botanic Gardens. You think I'm kidding. The historical footage is there. And that push came for public housing, not as emergency housing, But public housing was established in order to allow people who could not afford to purchase a home to live in a secure, stable environment for 25% of their income. And during the 70s and 80s, there was a huge push to move away from the towers which were built in the 60s and 70s, this is the 18 and 90s, and create a spot purchasing program around the suburbs and regional areas where the state purchased private homes and put them on the public housing list. Now, for some reason, 
ideologically based, what we have seen is this concept turned on its head, where public housing is only supposed to be for people in extreme emergencies. And legislation has been passed over and over again, which has tried to destroy not only the public housing sector, but the cooperative housing sector, which was set up by state governments in the 80s and 90s. And what we've seen is what I describe as criminal criminal negligence. We have seen the state, the Victorian state governments, move away from the concept of providing public housing and turning it over to the private sector. Unfortunately, most people today, in 2022, because of the constant propaganda regarding public housing, see public housing concept as a second-rate housing concept. And it is a second-rate housing concept because of government neglect. What we have seen is neglect of housing estates. We have seen a neglect of providing new public housing. And this is a government policy. At the same time, we've seen the state government throw its um, money behind the social, social affordable community housing sector, which is privately owned housing. It may be privately owned by not-for-profit organisations, but it is privately owned homes. And these houses cherry-pick who goes in and out, and in some cases rents are greater than 25%. So instead of having houses for everyone, it's about having houses for a select few. And obviously in these, in these private estates, which are called community affordable social housing, those organisations need to make a profit. They make that profit by mixing up the type of tenants they have. But the tragedy is that what was a sector that housed about 15% of the Victorian population only houses 3%. And we've seen the public housing list, the social housing list and the cooperative housing list joined together in an attempt to fully privatise this area. Now, four years ago, before the last state election in Victoria, we were involved, well, not involved, we organised a 10-day protest, 24 hours a day, where we held up the um, public housing banner 24 hours a day. And we put so much pressure on the state government before the election, concerned about the pressure the impact we were having on the community, they promised to build 1,000 new public houses. Have they built one new public houses? No. They've given away land to the private sector on the understanding that the private sector would build new housing and 10% would go to public housing and that 10% always seems to be the second rate and the most you know, difficult placed housing. And we've seen a state after a state, especially in the inner city, especially 
those estates which have been allowed to run down, been pulled down, handed over to the private sector. Now, in 2022, there are very few people or organisations which now promote public housing. All the usual suspects in the not-for-profit sector have got their hands out, you know, getting their share of uh, housing revenue and building up their empires. So all these church-related charities and groups, which normally you would expect to be with you shoulder-to-shoulder fighting for public housing, are now fighting for social, affordable community housing, which is private housing, which they will eventually own. And also these private public partnerships, there are in many of these contracts, most of the so-called public units or houses that are built, and they're usually small units, and the ownership will go back to the private sector within 20 to 30 years. So it is criminal neglect. I'm sick and tired of walking past people who are homeless. I'm sick and tired of listening to people saying they're wasting 30, 40, 50%, 60% of their income paying rent. I'm sick and tired of people telling me they're having difficulty with their mortgage repayments. There is a very simple answer. Nothing is complex in society. It's simple, a simple answer. The Victorian state government raises between 6 to $8 billion per year in tax, which is levied on people buying a home. This is called stamp duty. And with median prices around $900,000 to a $1 million, I mean, stamp duty can be seventy to $80,000. Where does this money go? Consolidated revenue. At least if, if, if 50%, if 50% of this money was dedicated to a spot purchasing program to provide public housing and build more housing cooperatives, as we saw in the sixty in the eighties and nineties, we could house a hundred thousand Victorians a year. That's right, a hundred thousand Victorians a year, a million in a decade. And you don't have to do this through this huge building program, all these building blitzes. You can do it through spot purchasing. Now, the thing about a capitalist society, and we live in a capitalist society, we actually live in a corporate capitalist society, where most facets of our human existence are owned by a handful of corporations. You know, and the smaller, smaller micro-business sector kind of catches the crumbs which come their way. The thing is, you need competition, but there's no competition. The increase number... If we increase the amount of public housing available in this state and around the country... What happens? One, people move into public housing. They leave rental properties. What happens when you leave rental properties? The owners, and in most cases they're investors, not all cases, most cases they're investors. 
what happens is they sell because they can't afford, if you don't pay their mortgage for them, they're not going to pay their own mortgage for them, they sell. As more properties at the lower end of the market come on the market, rents decrease because fewer people are renting in the private sector because they're housed in public sector. Rents decrease. As rents decrease, more investors will sell properties. As they sell those properties, housing price at the lower end will decrease. At the same time, because you provide security in public housing, it even, it even helps the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and the communication because there's less criminal activity. Housing stability has a positive effect on the health budget because fewer people find themselves in a health system, fewer people find themselves in the criminal justice system. Now, if people think I've got a rose-coloured glasses regarding public housing, I have no rose-coloured glasses regarding public housing. I've been a doctor for almost five decades and I've got many patients who have been in public housing during that period. And the fact is, because of the criminal neglect of successive Liberal and Labor governments in the state of Victoria, we have seen these housing options taken off the table and slowly, slowly allowed to degrade. And if you're going to put people with problems in the same block of flats, obviously you're going to magnify those problems. And the whole purpose of the spot purchasing program is to ensure that people in public housing become part of the general community. If they got children, they go to the same school. Therefore, they have house, they have security as far as that school is concerned. If they got issues, maybe their neighbours, maybe of a system, maybe they won't. But the fact is that if we don't change track today at this state election on the twenty sixth of November in Victoria, we will continue to compound this problem. No amount of privatisation of the housing sector, of the public housing sector, is going to solve anything. Look at the energy networks and privatisation of the energy networks. Did it solve the problems? No. Look at the privatisation of the banking sector, Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, Qantas, Telstra, or Telecom as it was known then. What have been the advantages even the privatisation of Medibank Private, what have been the advantages? There have been no advantages. The privatisation of the aged care sector, early childhood development sector, the privatisation and outsourcing of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and the list goes on and on and on. There are no rewards for privatisation for, for the uh, general population. The only rewards are for those people who own those assets. And what we see is that initially there may be many players in the field, but over a few years the field is dominated by a small number of corporations who have a highway to the Treasury. It's extraordinary. 
And I find it extraordinary in 2022 that we cannot seem to understand as a people that having a strong public housing sector has extraordinary benefits for the community as a whole. I think 85 to 90% of Singapore people live in public housing. 40% of Germans live in public housing. It's that stability and security of knowing you don't have to move. Your kids have to go to another school, join another sporting club, which is, which is the key to success. And if you talk to some of the people, the older people who have been in public housing, like Mr Albanese, you know, for 40 or 50, you know, in the last 40 or 50 years, it was that stability which allowed their children to get an education and move on in life. So the latest chapter in this disgusting saga, this, this, this story of criminal negligence by the state government, is the destruction of the cooperative housing sector in Victoria. It's a small sector, but it was an important sector. And now we are seeing steps taken which will see the privatisation by stealth of the cooperative housing sector. Think about it. If you're interested in public housing, if you live in Melbourne, every Thursday from 12 to 1, we're on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House holding up the banner, public housing, everybody's business. Because public housing is everybody's business because it has a positive effect on society as a whole. And it should be... It should be one of the major issues at the state election on the 26th of November. And it won't be a major issue unless you and I and other people make it. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott and I'm hosting today's program. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3CR. .org.au. If you're interested in the concepts of public housing, you can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page or Public Housing Everybody's Business Facebook page. Interested in putting public interest before corporate interest? I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest. Go to the webpage, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can join online. It's simple. Join now so that we can register as a, a state-based party maybe next year or the year after and a federal state par- party later on. Can you smell it? Can you smell it? The electoral perfume that's been used to disguise the political stench in Victoria. Can you smell it? Now, look, I must be an idiot. Well, obviously, I must be an idiot. Been on this uh, show for almost, what, 45 years? I must be an idiot. Because every electoral cycle is the same story. You dangle a few things in front of the public and you expect us, like Pavlov's dog, to go, woof, woof, saliva, saliva, lap it up, lap it up you Pavlov, us Pavlov dogs. And the latest gimmick was Mr Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, saying, 
we will pay the hex debt for 10,000 nursing and midwifery students. Whoopie-doo, whoopie-doo, whoopie-doo. Hmm? Sounds good. Look, I'm old enough to remember when education was three. Tertiary education was free. F-R-E-E. I mean, I went to medical school. For the first two years, I had a scholarship. But after that, with the election of the uh, Whitlam-led Labor government, education became free. I remember doing a doctorate of medicine at Melbourne University in the early 80s. Didn't cost me a cent. I remember all my uh, colleagues going through medical school, teachers' college, TAFE, nursing, you name it, F-R-E-E. Because the state, at the state and federal level, saw education as a mechanism via which to give people secure, stable jobs and at the same time provide the skills that were necessary to create a secure society. It was an investment by the state in its young people. But remember the Hawke-Keating Labor government, that wonderful, wonderful neoliberal government, and I'll speak about that later on, how they said, well, it's too expensive. Investing in the future of this country by educating people in this country to acquire skills in order to make the country function, it's too expensive. It's not nice. It's expensive. So let's charge the little bastards. And those that haven't got richy prep, rich parents, let's ensure they pay back those fees over a number of years when they begin work. And so Mr Andrews and what's left of the ALP in Victoria says, why don't we give 10,000 nursing and midwifery students are free, we'll pay their hex debt. Hmm? How ridiculous. Let's not forget the past. Let's not forget that education, three education like public housing, has extraordinary benefits for the community. And those benefits mean an increasingly skilled population a population which can actually look after the needs, the human needs of people, a population which pays taxes because they're earning good money, and that investment, that initial investment in education pays off handsome dividends to the community. So don't get fooled by, you know, these electoral perfume that's been thrown around. We're going to give, we're going to set up 25 GP clinics with current GP clinics in order to provide a little bit of extra bulk billing assistance. We're going to throw in a few million dollars here and a few million dollars there. The stench, the stench of the growing inequality in the state of Victoria and the rest of Australia is so overpowering, no electoral p- 
perfume is going to overcome this problem. <coughs> Think about it. Now, let's move on. <coughs> no, that's not COVID-19. I had my rat test yesterday. That's food stuck in my gullet. <coughs> Mr Albanese, he's a nice man, isn't he? Everybody's granddad. <coughs> nice gentleman. Culture of cooperation. He is going to engender a culture of cooperation. It begins, well, it began on day one, but we've seen <coughs> the Jobs Summit. Now, I remember, and that's the beauty of being old, you know, you remember, unless you become demented, which we all do sooner or later. But I remember when Mr Hawke and Mr Keating, the worst two Prime Minister, Labor Prime Ministers in the history of this country, talked about the Accord. And they brought business, unions and government together. So what did the Australian people get out of this Accord? They got the introduction of a neoliberal agenda which was based on privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation and deregulation. Everybody blames Mr Howard and his government. All they did is extend those changes. And what happened to the trade union movement which covered 40% of workers? Well, it shrunk to almost nothing, only covering 10% of private sector workers because of successive legislation which was passed through Parliament which has made striking outside enterprise bargaining agreement period illegal in this country. Workers can be fined individually and they have been, up to $10,000 a day for taking part in an unauthorised stoppage. So that's what we got out of the Accord. We got wholesale privatisation, globalisation where local corporations went overseas to find the cheapest labour labour they could exploit to create their products. We saw corporations begin to dominate every facet of Australian economy, pushing small and micro businesses to the edge. And when I saw Mr Dutton talk about, that's right, he's still around, talk about how the Liberal Party is all about small business and micro business, what a load of garbage. On their shift, we saw corporations push out Small business, micro business, 90% fail within five years. Most have difficulty every day in the COVID-19 pandemic closures, you know, highlighted the difficulties they find themselves in. And the Liberal Party tries to paint itself as the saviour of small business. And it's the same with the National Party, the agri-business party. But getting back to what we were saying, culture of cooperation well there will be a jo- there will be a, a job summit and it'll be the business sector the corporate business sector will be screaming to bring in 
workers into this country to overcome a skill shortage, which we created. That's right, we created. Because we understood it's much simpler to offer a nice package to somebody who's been trained in Pakistan or India or China or else to come over here fully skilled and take up a job. Much, much, much cheaper than training local people. Much cheaper. Happens over and over again. We're told it's populate or perish, that we're going to need to increase migration. Now, I've got no problems with increased migration. The type of increased migration I would like to see is not that based on stealing workers from overseas who are highly skilled because we can't bother, you know, to have a free education system and invest in the young people in this country, but a migration system based on need. There's over 80 million refugees waiting to be resettled somewhere around the world, victims of war. Many of these wars of our own making. And we will see tens of millions of climate refugees created over the next decade. But no, 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 we don't want those people here in this country. We want them fully skilled, fully trained, or if they're not fully skilled and fully trained, we want them to come here, undercut wages, not join a union, and be hostages to employers who can kick them back out of the country on temporary work visas. So it'll be interesting what comes out of the job summit. I'm always happy for people to talk. Obviously, you and I weren't invited. I don't think any radicals invited. But that's the way it is. So let's see what comes out of it. And it'll be the same shit, you know. This is my opinion. Obviously, I'll be proven to be wrong or right next week. I think it'll be more migration and only skilled migration or semi-skilled migration on temporary work visas. That's what business is crying for. They want high un- they want a reasonable amount of unemployment so they can actually dictate wages and conditions. And you do that by having temporary workforce on temporary visas who are not unionised. And that was the whole purpose. The thing is, what's this philosophy of growth for growth's sake? I mean, people keep talking about climate emergencies, but again, we keep saying, well, we need to grow, 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 grow. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. So let's see what happens. I mean, I'm all ears, but uh, I'd be surprised if we see anything, you know, a little bit um, helpful. Helpful. Culture of cooperation. Can you smell it? Saudi salsa. Well, well, well. The Saudi family, the feudal family that rules the Arabian Peninsula, which has made its fortune through the amount of oil, petrified, dead things that have turned to oil in the ground, is looking around for alternative income because they know maybe in 10, 20, 30 years 
oil will no longer be a significant factor in their income stream. So what have they come up with? Well, they're going to set up alternative sporting venues. Not venues, alternative sporting events. And they're going to offer big money to big players to play in their league. And Australia's very own Greg Norman, who's basically lived in the United States for most of his life, is the leader of the golfing fraternity and they're offering millions, tens of millions of dollars for players to join the league. People like Cameron Smith, an Australian who's just turned over to the Saudi side. But you and I can stop this. It's very simple. How are they going to make money out of this? Through you looking at these events. That's right. It's about you. Not that I'm interested in golf, but you may be. You saying, wow, they've got some really excellent golfers in that league, or they've got some great cricket players, or baseball players, or tennis players, because that's the plan. Try to break up all these uh, sporting associations, and they control it. And the idiots, that's you and me, that's what they think of us, they think we're bloody idiots, that we don't understand the type of feudal society where they publicly continue to publicly behead people in public squares in that country. They think that we are so stupid, so ignorant of how they function, that we are going to waste our money watching that alternative sporting fixture. Or some will. But the fewer people that actually look at those fixtures, have an interest in those fixtures, bet on those fixtures, the sooner they will go bankrupt. Think about it. Think about it. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Ah, tax cuts for the rich. Well, what's wrong with that, eh? They deserve a tax cut, don't they? I mean, why not? Why not? Why not? Because, see, if you're rich and you've got disposable income, you don't have to be rich. You can you can legally minimise your tax, right? Now, most rich people don't actually pay income tax. They legally minimise it through family trusts, negative gearing, um, franking credits, you name it. In Australia, the more money you have, the more assets you have, the less taxes you pay in terms of the percentage of income. So it's no wonder that uh, one-third of major mineral corporations, you know, resource-rich corporations, didn't pay any tax in Australia last year. And it's no wonder that 67% of revenue still comes from the pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, not company tax, pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, 
And it's no wonder those gas companies which are holding this country to hostage because previous governments sold off all the gas without thinking about the needs that Australia had won't be paying taxes for decades because of the way their business is structured. So tax cuts for the rich, well, it's part and parcel of society we've become because we've all been seduced. That's right. Seduced by the idea that the only way forward in in Australia or the world is to clamber over the bodies of those that we need to clamber over to make a buck. So tax cuts for the rich, that's the legislation was passed. That's what's in the in store and it won't change unless there is major, major agitation. Major agitation. Not a little bit of debate in the media, but major agitation. Let's look at this country. One third of the population, almost one third, about 30%, survive on social security benefits. Most social security benefits are under the poverty line, including old age pensions, under the poverty line. Most tax revenue comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers who earn less than, say, $150,000 a year, which seems a great amount, but it isn't in this day and age. We have a situation where private charities try to raise money to send people, kids, to a public school. Extraordinary. We have people dying, waiting on waiting lists to have semi-elective and semi-urgent surgery. We have overworked hospital and health staff who've been working non-stop for two and a half years during the pandemic. We have people working extraordinary hours for minimal pay. We have a situation with the aged care sector where the government, you and I, are going to pay for the increased wages to people in the aged care sector because the private bastards won't cough up. And they say, well, if you've got to cough up, we'll close down the aged care sector. It's called an aged care strike. You know, it's not just about workers removing their labour. Capital removes its money. And organisations which are too big to fail refuse to play the game. You listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. I'd just like to remind people, as I said at the beginning of the program, we all know about... Ukraine, Yemen, uh, Ethiopia, Syria, Myanmar, and obviously I left a few other conflict zones out. But what about West Papua? What about West Papua? As the coordinator or convener of the West Papua Rent Collective, I despair.
about the lack of knowledge in this country about the West Papuan independence struggle, which is 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline. 70 kilometres. Think about it. 500,000 dead over 60 years. West Papuan population reduced to less than about 1.2 million. One Indonesian soldier for every adult male in West Papua. Resistance continues, armed resistance continues in the highlands. The West Papuans are discriminated at every level. The list goes on and on. So, and, and most importantly of all, as a government, we not only support the Indonesian occupation, we train their troops free of charge in this country to go back to go back to West Papua and put in their training to destroy the West Papuan society. Now, eight years ago, we started a campaign. Little people like you and me, you know, not the rich and powerful, little people, to raise a little bit of money to pay for the rent for the West Papuans to have an office. And this office has now become an, uh, a very important part of the West Papuan independence struggle. It's located in Melbourne, 838 Collins Street in Docklands. Now, this no, next Sunday, on the 11th of September, we'll be having a next West Papuan rent collective gathering. You don't have to book... Just turn up, 838 Collins Street, walk around the back, there it is. Free lunch, donations welcome, 1pm. Then at 2pm, we're having a book launch in the shadow of the palms by Sophie Chower, C-H-A-O. Now, Sophie is a brilliant researcher. She'll be there. We'll be launching her book, and it shows how the Sago Palm, which is fundamental to uh, for the existence of West Papuans has been replaced by uh, been replaced by um, uh, ubiquitous uh, palm oil palms. So, if you want to listen, hear more about this, listen into Radical Australia this afternoon, thirty first of August, where I'll be interviewing uh, Sophie regarding her book in the shadow of the palms. And please come along to the West Papuan Rent Collective if you can't. Please join. You can always ring me on 0439 395 489, a dollar a day, $30 a month, $365 a year, and uh, part of it. Now, last but not least, Toscana from Mulgrave. Now, what's happening with this little, this little beast? Toscana from Mulgrave. Now, I don't know what's going on. Of course I do. Now, Toscano for Mulgrave is my attempt, my pathetic attempt, to bring Mr Andrews' government to heel. Now, Mr Andrews, a professional politician, the man they claim is the most powerful man, you know, outside uh, Albanese in the country. What a lot of bullshit. Now, he's got to sit. He, he represents the electorate of Mulgrave, which includes Mulgrave and Springvale. And I'm exceptionally interested in uh, running against him on a positive, human-focused reform campaign. I mean, the Victorian government should satisfy basic human needs before continuing with the never-ending construction blitz it has embarked on. 
Now, he's a professional politician. I've got extraordinary life experience. And the policies that I'm interested in, this is nothing radical, are designed to satisfy basic human needs and help struggling micro and small businesses. Liberal Party is not your friend if you're a micro or small business, neither is the Labor Party. Food security, energy security, public housing, public health, public education, recreation, and hopefully over the next few weeks I'll be able to launch this campaign. And I've also got policies on how to fund these campaigns. A 1% super land tax on landholders, individuals, businesses and corporations who own more than $5 million of property in Victoria. Simple. A 1% rent tax on individuals, businesses and corporations who pay more than $5 million annually. A 1% turnover tax on businesses and corporations who use virtual platforms who pay minimal tax and payroll tax if they have a turnover of more than $5 million annually. I mean, it'll be an interesting campaign. Hopefully, and the key word is hopefully, we'll be able to launch the campaign in early October uh, on these policies. I, will, um, I won't be making any decision until I have enough people to nominate me to stand in the electorate of Mulgrave. That means if you live in the electorate of Mulgrave, which stretches between... Ferntree Gully Road in the north, Heatherton Road in the south, the south-east tollway and Daddynong Creek in the east, and Westall Road in the west. And you're interested in these policies and positive human-focused reforms around food security, energy security, public housing, public health, public education and recreation. Well, give us a ring. 0439. 395-489-0439-395-489. If you know somebody in the area who could be interested in such a campaign. I mean, it's not a campaign to be elected. There's no way I'm going to be elected. But it is a campaign to force policy shifts to get the government of the day to focus on satisfying basic human Needs not going on a construction blitz which in no way satisfies the basic human needs of the majority of the population. You've been listening to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You can join public interest before corporate interest by going to pipcipibci.net. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.